In the words of a king, there is power. And as we behold him with unveiled faces, we're transformed into the very image of God. Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. K. Ijishesan, brought to you by Kingswood Ministries International. We believe that as you listen, faith is stirred up in you to become all that God has called you to be. You know, in the kingdom of God, deliveries are made based on demand. The grace of God has appeared to her. But that does not mean the grace is working in our lives. It takes a deliberate positioning for grace to receive grace. There is an active positioning in prayer. There's an active positioning in humbling yourself. In fact, prayer is an expression of humility. One of the ways I know people that are not humble is their lack of prayer. Because when you pray, you're submitting to God's authority. You are literally saying, God, I need you. I can't fix me. I need a savior. Okay. I believe a chunk of us were here yesterday, right? Do you still remember the things I spoke on yesterday? You want to help me? Okay, I can't hear anything. I'm just saying I'm rumbling all over the place. I said, take your mountain. And I talk about and what are the seven mountains? Okay, 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 okay. At least you are saying something. But the way the way it was coming out, even if you were, if you didn't say anything. We feel like you are saying something. We talked about religion, which is key. Now that was the worship of God. We must get it right. Because if we don't get it right, there will be false worship. The arts of man is created to yearn after God. And if it's not fixed rightly by revelation, which is about worship in the spirit and in truth, guess what? There will be what? False worship. So it's important we get it right where... You know, the operation of the church is concerned. The, the church is still relevant. Says, I just talk to God directly. God bless you. You are just fulfilling prophecy. So the next time one of your friends wants to argue with you, why physical gathering is not necessary, just say, it's okay. I'm not, I'm okay. I mean, there should be people like you. According to Hebrews chapter 10, 25, Said the manners of some. Lift up a right and say, I refuse to fulfill negative prophecy in my generation. It was said that one will betray Jesus. It did not have to be Judas. But Judas was the one that yielded to that demonic spirit. Offenses will surely come. I wish I could say that in my 25 plus years, in former ministry, I've not seen very promising people that I thought would go places. But another season came and they became offended and became so grounded in offense that they started hearing strange voices. In fact, some of them broke my heart. I was shocked because I thought, not this person. And that's how it says, he that thinks he stands. Can I be real with you this morning? 
you know, when a man begins to isolate himself, you are just literally setting yourself up for the enemy. Because the devil prefers you isolated than connected. There are key and vital relationships in your life, even beyond your church family being connected to your pastor. There are people that God will bring into your life to preserve your destiny. And if case not taken, a season will come that the enemy will alight their flaws. And you will stop seeing their graces. And based on the magnified flaws you see, you will make decisions that will cost you. God knew they were not perfect before he chose to yoke you together. So one of the, one of the decisions I made a long time ago is to see people's graces more than their flaws. Write it down. See people's what? Graces more than what? Because there will, you will never encounter anyone without flaws. There are men that have been, they have been divorced severally because they, they, they are perfectionists. In fact, go and check it up. People that, a lot of times, people that don't settle too easily in relationship or they easily walk out of relationship is because they are looking for some kind of perfection and excellence that does not exist. So they will always see people's flaws and faults and magnify it and you know, anything you meditate on grows. Now, I know most of you here, you love me, right? You came here because you, 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 you trust the God in me. And you love, you know, my leadership. Oh, I love Dr. K is different. But listen, let me shock you. Dr. K is not perfect. I'm a work in progress, just like you're a work in progress. Although some people's work are higher than others. Because some people, when you look at their work, it's like they have not even started. But there's a way the enemy will magnify that floor, that area that still needs help so much and you will not see any other thing but that area. And it will grow and grow and grow to a point that the anointing or the grace that that person represents will no longer matter. Because what you only see is the floor. If I go and do your research, an average person that leaves a church gets to that point. He starts seeing a flaw. And he put on his magnifying glasses and magnified it, and magnified it, and magnified it. After he said, my heart is not there. Why can't your heart be there? Your, it's a function of meditation. Those of you that are married, you, you are so full of that person. Because you are meditating. Oh, that guy was so cool. Look at the way he opened the door for me. Oh my God, he's so sweet. And the meditation grew, 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 grew. And he's like, you know what? I think I will marry him. We are designed to meditate. And that's why you must protect what you meditate on. It's not only the word we meditate on. Even some of you, you know what, I mean, places, your, your, the jobs you've left. How did it start? You started seeing the flaws and the faults of the company. The same company you were so excited about at the beginning, after a while, you're like, you know what, I can't take it. You have meditated so much and it has grown and filled your heart. 
And out of the abundance of heart, your mouth spoke. And you carried it out. And you know some people have missed out on the best of God. Just because of impatience. God knew that the company, the church, the friends, the, you know, the people that he has put around you, he knows that they are not perfect. And yet, he knows you need them. I've been married for almost 24 years. It's going to be 24 years in March. I wish I could tell you I'm perfect and my wife is perfect. Neither of us is. But we chose to meditate on what, you know, are amazing about each other. And we choose to ignore each other's flaw. It was a conscious decision. And guess what? The marriage kept on getting stronger and stronger. Like someone say, that's how we manage each other. Somebody say, oh, I'm managing you. I say, <laughs> really? I'm the one managing you. Am I talking to somebody? It's very, very important because if you don't understand this principle, the enemy will take you away from the most important things in your life. And it will give you a picture that is not real. And the other side will be a better side. And you'll be so convinced. Is somebody following me? It's very, very important. I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know the friends you need to pick up your phone and call after the service. You know that relationship has been depreciating. You stopped fellowshipping. You stopped ministry to it. Think. Is this a divine relationship? What do I need to do to protect the divine relationships in my life? Okay. I don't know who subscribed for that, but apparently somebody needed to hear that. Or should I say, a number of people needed to hear that. So yesterday we talked about the fact that the church is key. We got to get it right. Religion, if we don't get it right in the area of church, or you call it religion, guess what? The spirit of religion will take over. There will be witchcraft and all manner of practices in our world, in our city, in our nation. Well, you know when people start coming up with ideas that are not consistent with scriptures, you know what? It's not about pastor, everybody. God says, give honor to, you know, to the people that labor among you. And now you came up with a principle of, you know, you know, just hero worship your pastor. I don't believe in all that. Listen, I don't believe in you. Because you are the one that needs help. The next time somebody starts talking rubbish around you, please don't put your hairs there. Just say, you know what? I think I have something very, very important to do. So I say, is that not a lie? It's not a lie. Because anything apart from that thing is important. There are conversations you should not be engaged in. Some of you have friends that poison your, 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 the pillars of your life. They talk down on your church. They talk down on your pastor. They talk down on your faith. <laughs> he's a great, he's a great. I'm a lawyer person. No, you are not lawyer. You are foolish. That's not loyalty. That's foolishness. Say, okay, really? That's what you really believe. Thank you. I appreciate you. I will keep my distance. You know, one of my leaders told me something a while ago. He said, one of his childhood friends. Married and an interesting woman. And when he saw that woman and what that woman believed, 
He called his wife. He said, you cannot be friends. Oh, you didn't hear me? He said, you cannot be what? He said, because I know my wife. My wife is very, very... He likes everybody. He said, no, this one you can't like. That's a smart man. Because the trouble is coming back. He said, I know what my friend is going through. I will not go through it. <laughs> okay. So we talked about church, right? Then we move from church. What do you move to? Family. Somebody say family. Family is important. And we need people who have been called to impart that space. Very, very important. Not everybody is passionate about family. I mean, I have a great family, but my calling past, I mean, I mean, it's not family. I mean, thank God for family counselors and marriage counselors. God bless them. But that, I do it in my capacity as an apostle once in a while. But it's not my area of specialty. But there's some people. It's a calling. And we need them. Even we need them in church system. People that will ensure families are what? Strong. People will ensure, you get my point, that marriages are strong. Single families are strong. Are you getting my point? Single ministry is strong. Married, married couples family ministry is strong. And there's some people even beyond church setting. They teach it secularly. And we need it. Even if you have not given your life to Jesus, understand some principles about what it means to raise strong families. Somebody shout amen. amen. Then we also move to education. Education is important. Education is important. I mean, can you imagine your kids, they go to school, spend eight hours in school. What is being fed into them can shape them for life. And that's why we need people that will stand for godly principles, not just by establishing Christian schools, but some people that will be in the public school system. Because one of the problems in the body of Christ is that we've run away from the systems of this world. When God says, I'm releasing you as sheep among wolves. God needs voices in all those spaces. But we pull from it. Now, I'm, I'm nothing against Christian school, but not everybody will send their kids to what? Christian school. So we need people in the public school systems. So there are some of you that God will put in your heart that when they are doing the praise teacher association meeting in your, in your kid's school, volunteer. You might not be a teacher, but you are supposed to be in that space. Be the chairman. Because when we allow dark people to run things, everywhere will be dark. Is somebody following me? So it's not, it's not about church alone. It's about getting involved in the different facets and spaces of life. Then we talk about media. Media is powerful. We need people that are called and anointed to be in that space. To be in that space. Media and entertainment, especially they shape culture. Several years ago, I was in South Africa and I was so surprised. My, 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 my host son, who, has, who doesn't live in America, maybe has visited America before, but never lives in America, speaks perfect America, speaks with perfect American accent. And I'm wondering, how come your kids are speaking like this? Oh, yeah. You know, that's, that's, they spend their whole day, they, they watching TV. I said, ah. And to make it worse, they now, they now go to American school. So they don't live in America, but they've been what? Shaped. There are kids in Nigeria, in Kenya, in different places that have never visited America before, but they understand American culture more than me that I've lived in America for 23 years. Just through the exposure to media. Media is powerful. 
media, you know, what, what I said about being there yesterday was, is the fact that, you know, media has to do with, uh, I, I, there is a particular way I put it. I said, interpret information and events through the lens of good or evil. So if people that are involved in the media space are full of evil, their interpretation of information will be what? And they will communicate. Faith coming by hearing. Everybody is hearing evil. Then we talk about outside entertainment. God is creative and he believes in creatives. We, you know, outside entertainment celebrates or distorts values of what? Values of virtue. Have you noticed over the years that the level, the level people feel comfortable in exposing things we should not be seeing? I'm old school. Call me old school. I believe your clothes or dresses or whatever you call them are designed to cover you. There are things that is the only, the only person that should be seen then is somebody that is the person that is one with you. And now, do you know what has happened over the years? Because of the images presented through arts and entertainment as so-called influencers and celebrities. You know, it has gotten so bad now there are women that can, can go on Instagram or TV or whatever and leave two-thirds of her breast opened and the whole world will feel is okay. In fact, the level at which people will react has dropped. Because they have fed it to us over and over to a point that our minds are beginning to tolerate it. That's how powerful arts and entertainment is. So we need people that are full of God giving us content that represents godly, godly values and what? Virtues. Am I speaking the truth this morning? So, we, it's not just now, one of the things God spoke to me this year is that, he said, don't just train people to do church. Train them to do life. You know, a lot of us, we have built systems over the, over the time, over, over years. I'm talking about pastors and apostles now, which is about how to run an effective cell system which is good. But do we take time to give them master classes on how to represent God in their office on Monday or in their spaces throughout the week? So we have a lot of Christians that because of lack of training, the only place where they find the expression is church. So the moment they go to and leave church, they just get, I know this word is not my own. So they pass through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And they are waiting for another Sunday. Because Sunday is the only time they are themselves. That is religion. The whole concept of unboxed church is raising a people whose mindset is not just for Sunday, but rather their mindset is for life. That's the same way they see their pastor as anointed on a Sunday morning. They see themselves anointed throughout the week. That the same anointing that pastor represents on Sunday is what they carry to their workplace on Monday. They go to boardroom meetings with that consciousness. So we don't just train people to do church services and church structures. But we train them to do life. Is somebody listening to me? 
It, and it's going to take some intentionality because, I mean, the people that trained me in ministry, that was not even the way they trained me. <laughs> it was all about church, 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 church. So as we are finishing Sunday, we are already planning for Wednesday. And the moment we are done with Wednesday, next Sunday. And we celebrate success and progress based on how our two hours meeting is weekly. And we have a whole generation of people, good people, but who have not been trained on how to do life. There's a need for a paradigm shift. In fact, one of the things God made me to realize in the last two years is that he said, there are going to be people amongst you that I will raise and you will recognize by God that, you know what, because of the nature of your assignments, you are not even supposed to be serving in church service again. Sit down and hear God's word. The last thing we want you to do is all over the place, serving, 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 and you are not fed. Oh, is somebody listening to me? Because at times the way pastors can be so fixed on, is he serving? Is he serving? But could it be that that person's calling is about serving his generation outside the four walls of church? And he needs to come to church to be fed so that he can serve better. I'm shattering tables this morning. Anybody that does not serve in church is irresponsible. But God is looking beyond what people do in your two-hour service. In fact, it's more particular about serving generation more than serving church service. Don't get me wrong. We still need people that we serve in church. But we should be more particular about people serving their generation. Isn't it interesting in Acts chapter 13 verse 36, what was said about David was that after he had served his own generation, slept. He was a king, right? But he was not by his title at the end of the day. He was by service. So that position that was given to you is not as important as the assignment. You know, there are times that people get so sucked up in position and titles and they forget the assignment. The same God who we appoint Mordecai to be at the gate of the palace is the same one that will send Esther into the palace. And that does not mean Esther is more important than Mordecai in his agenda. In fact, if there's anybody that is extremely important, it was Mordecai. In fact, one of the things I realized studying the book of Esther was that Mordecai was such a mentor. He meant, no, in fact, could it be the reason why God chose Esther was because she had been well mentored. He looked among all the maidens from Israel that were, that were there and there was no one who was as trained as Esther. In fact, the Bible says concerning Esther that when she was in the palace, when she got to the palace, she did not forget all the things that Mordecai, a teacher, I thought I rather. And God now insisted that Mordecai should be at the palace gate. Not as a chief. But just there at the gate. Still in Esther's life. And ensuring Esther is protected. 
if you want to be an, a Mordecai, but God called you to be an Esther. I mean, if you want to be a, an Esther, but God called you to be what? A Mordecai. You will be a misfit. You know, there are people I watch over who has more followership than me. Physically, online, everywhere. Of course, there are times that some of them get carried away. <laughs> because we are all human. There's a way you can get it to your head. When people are healing you, healing you, healing you. One of them is the one leading one of the strongest prayer movements in the world right now. There was a time I had to call her two, three years ago and speak some sense to her. 1st of January. She said, this is not the way we started. We started though. All these motivational jargons you are running with. You are a supernatural person. And she said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I dropped it. I, mean, I will tell you the truth. I'm not feeding under you. I don't care how many thousands of people are in your church. Now, it's even my joy that, that somebody that I watch over, that somebody that I battered in ministry, that somebody that I lay my hands on can have more members coming to his church. It's my joy. It shows I've done something right. But just because a thousand of people are following you does not mean I can't call you to order. And during the pandemic, when there was a shift and I saw him plugged in, I called him and I said, ah. I said, ah, is she? Are you listening to me? And I have people like that. There's one of my daughters in Abuja now doing amazing things. If I go on Instagram to do prayer time, maybe if 200 people join life, I'm, I'm grateful to God. Every morning, 5,000 people join our prayer line. Life. I'm not talking about accumulation of uh, the people that watch it after. I'm talking about life. By the time she combines all the platforms, Mixer, uh, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, puts all of them together. An average of 5,000 people. She's still my daughter. In fact, this week, I should have a Bible study for her and her husband. She's more popular than me. But I'm fine. Because, in fact, one of my assignments in this season, in an apostolic capacity, is to watch over people like that. God told me during Mordecai, I'm during pandemic, he said, will you be my Mordecai to a generation? There are people I want to send to the palace. You might not go to the palace with them, but I need you at the gates. And I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I mean, people like Emmanuel Iren, I love him too. I mean, he's my boy. He's my boy. You needed to see myself and him talking, my wife and, and my, uh, his wife and my wife talking at times. You would think we are babies. He's like, we, I mean, I mean, he had an amazing conference this weekend. This weekend in, in Nigeria, it was massive. Come meet him. Thousands of people. But he's still my boy. And I have boys like that all over the world. Some of them, I father them. Some of them, I mentor them. Some of them, God brought me into their lives when they were already formed. You don't get it. I don't claim to father the person I did not raise. Because that's one of the things God taught me over the years. He said there are people that have been formed but I will bring you into their lives as an elder. And I'm okay. Why would I claim my father? I, I didn't teach you. I didn't raise you. But I raised him. I raised him. And there are thousands of people I've raised all over the world. So, in fact, one of the things I've learned in this season is to be okay with the capacity that God has called me into. Well, this meeting is getting interesting. Are, are you getting it? So, all these competing 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We need to read this. This is highly prophetic. Somebody said, I thought we came for a, an anointing service. Yes, it's an anointing service. This needs to be taught so that the anointing will not be wasted. Because people have been anointed severally in time past. And after a while, we have nothing to show for the anointing because they miss certain things. Can we read it together? One, two, three. Your race is too peculiar. Look at you. Now, check out your neighbor. Even if she's your wife. Check it out. Check, check out. Do you look alike? I know people say, husband and wife, if they have spent an amount, after a while, they start looking like, you've been married for how many years? 14 years. I just started looking like you. <laughs> That's the way of encouraging married people. Say, have you noticed that married people after a while they look like siblings? Glory be to God. They've been married for 14 years, and Biola will still be Biola forever. God is saying, Ah, I see your face in Biola. Glory be to God. Ladies and gentlemen, you are too unique to be duplicated. Love you and love the race God has called you to. Own your race. It's my race. And I'm fine with it. I don't want to run your race. I'm fine with my race. If you are supposed to be, I mean, doing what I'm doing in the nations, God bless you. But if you are not called to do it, I don't want you to start doing it. If you are supposed to do boardroom, do boardroom. If you are supposed to be the, in the so-called secular entertainment industry, go there and represent us. Somebody shout hallelujah. I send you a sheep among wolves. I said something is happening in that generation. I see God raising people. God told me, he said the same way. Ministry gifts have had consciousness of I'm called. A generation is about to be raised that everybody will hone their calling. I don't have to be a pastor. I don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. But I know the call of God upon my life. I know the space he has put me in. And I'm fine with it. God bless you, pastor. Wear your anointing on Sunday morning. I wear mine on Monday morning. Is somebody listening to me? I'm just fine with my calling. And please don't let your pastor call you into what God has not called you into. That's one of the reasons, even my sons in ministry, I engage them, I engage in conversation with them. Okay, well, do you see it? This is what I'm saying. Do you see it? If you cannot see it, he said, can two work together? He said, they agree. I'd rather wait for you to see it. And if you don't ever see it, he said, okay, I'm fine. An apostolic capacity. I will make you to do what? Ah. Before he formed him, he knew him and he ordained him. It's a dangerous thing to be doing what is contrary to your ordination. And I'm not talking about the earthly ordination. Because before there was an earthly ordination, there was what? A heavenly, every one of you came here ordained already. Hey, I want you to put hands on your head and say, I carry oil from heaven. Hey, I want you to say it again. Say, I carry oil from heaven. 
Come on, say it again. Say, I carry oil from heaven. I carry oil. Hey, hey, hey. I love what Paul said. He's in Romans 11 verse 13. He said, I magnify my office. The same God that's been working in Peter where the, the, the circumcised are concerned. His apostleship towards circumcised as great as it is. Mine towards the uncircumcised is great. I magnify my office, my ministry. What is your assignment? What is your ministry? What space are you called to occupy? Because the oil that will be released is to enhance your expression in that ministry. How many of you are aware of the fact that Abraham was not a preacher? And yet a major part of Genesis was dedicated to him and his descendants. Not Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek was like the preacher of his days. Who was also a king. And a priest. But it was more about Abraham. So God is very much involved in the in, in the marketplace systems of our world. Abraham was in that marketplace system. Was he not? Isaac was it? Was in it? Was he not? Jacob, was he not in it? And he said, I'm the God of Abraham, not Abraham the preacher. I'm the God of Isaac, who was also not a preacher. And I'm the God of what? Jacob. So, the, the whole concept of unboxed church is a church that sees their expression beyond their gathering. Hmm. A church that is more interested in relevance than just doing service. Our coming together is meant to release oil and empowerment for us to go and serve our generation. So, religion, right? Family, right? Education, right? Media and entertainment, right? I mean, media on its own. Then arts and what? Entertainment. That's like five, right? Then the sixth one, government and politics. We need people. I mean, someone like me, I would be a terrible politician. So is that, you know, yes, I knew when I was in school pharmacy. By the way, I'm a pharmacist by training. Somebody is surprised. Yes, I went to school. I did. And I graduated. <laughs> because when people started, I never finished because of the call of God. Me, I finished. I have a degree at home that says he's a pharmacist. So, when I was in school pharmacy, I got so much involved. I got so much involved in, I mean, student union politics, the local one. The department. of you ever did that in school? The departmental one, not the general one. So from part one, I've been going down to what, what they call the meetings. It's not, is it Congress? They, I'm forgetting them. Anyway, I'll go to those meetings. So I was very much involved. I knew the terminologies. I knew the officers from my part one. I was just, you know, the way they talk in those meetings says, anybody like me excites me, you know, especially the election time. A vote for me is a vote for charisma. A vote for me is a vote. You know, those big Googles, I mean, they just, so I love it. 
by the time I was in my, was it third or fourth year, um, there was supposed to be a change of leadership. I now saw the people that were contesting for presidency. Ha! These boys, they are going to be the one running the departmental. Ah! I was, I was offended. So out of offense, offense, I mean, I went to buy phone. And I was not just going to run for any office. I was running for what? Presidency. In fact, I had a political name. You want to know it? Famaki for presidency. And I would go from class to class and use my preaching anointing to campaign. You know, I was already preaching at some level. So it was there. I would, I would just use it. A vote for me. As if I was talking about Jesus. A vote for me. So while doing that... <laughs> One of the people who was also running for presidency, who I thought was my friend, started slandering me. I mean, you know the way you manipulate truth. And it's a lie. And I was shocked. Because I'm not a politician. So when I saw the way it was going, I just said, okay, 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 okay. I'm not running again. So I, I dropped out. Because the motivation to run was out of passion. Listen, passion is not enough. I know some of you have been taught that if you feel it, do it. Moses felt it and he killed. <laughs> passion can be a pointer, but it's not enough. You need something clearer. So passion drove me into politics. But by the time it became hot, it dawned on me that this is not my field. And I went back to preaching. And since then, I've respected myself. So when I see a few preachers now that want to dabble into politics, I'm not, maybe, I'm not God. I wasn't there when God called them. I remember my own experience. God gave me that experience very young in life. You know, maybe he allowed me to experience it so that I would never be tempted about politics again in my life. Because I felt, because there are people running for one office or the other out of passion. Some, well, are you called? Maybe you ought to translate that passion into supporting people that are called. Not you running. I believe sincerely that a few pastors have run for presidency, not just in Nigeria, it has happened in Philippines and different places. They were really genuine. They had that passion. For passion like I had the passion for politics, departmental politics. But when I got into the middle of it, I realized I wasn't called for it. So passion is not enough. So I got out of politics. But there are people called into politics who can deal with, I mean, with those woos. And there are real woos in politics. So you have to be an anointed sheep to survive those woos. Because if care is not taking the woos, we convert you to a wolf. And you become one of them. But still, God wants his people in government and politics. And the church should responsibly encourage people that are called for it rather than discourage them. Because not every one of us can be preacher. Six, right? Then the last one, we talked about business. I know the sound of business excites some of us, but not everybody is called. Some people, their greatest undoing is resigning their eight to five job to start a business because they compare themselves. I know somebody that did it. Are you that person? 
There's some people, the way you are wired, you are wired for wake up, wear your tie, go to work, come back. And you, you'll be growing, you'll be growing, you'll be growing in the system. But the day you call yourself to start one, you get into trouble. Some of us are just supposed to follow career paths. I know some people teach everybody can do business. No. Everybody can invest. But run a business, not everybody is wired for it. But there are people wired for it. And business is so important because the, 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 the resources, because in business, you, you, it's like you become a custodian of distribution, distributing wealth. Now, can you now imagine the righteous being the custodian? They will ensure the distribution of wealth favors God's agenda. So you have made me preach this message twice. But at least you got it now. So we, we, got, we started getting into the things that are need, needful for us to be able to, you know, take over. And I talk, how many did I talk about yesterday, by the way? For, can you remind me, please? Are you getting blessed this morning? We talked about identify your assignments. Very, very important. Know yourself. Don't be someone else. Be you. There is a purpose of God for your life which is unique. You can only take a mountain effectively when you know the mountain you are called to. So, having said all these things, where do you see yourself? God has a purpose for you. You have a part in his purpose. And when we're talking about purpose, purpose is not your thing, it's God's thing. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Because we're in a generation when everybody is talking purpose out of selfish thing. My purpose, my purpose. No, it's not your purpose. It's his purpose. You just happen to have a part in his purpose. His purpose has to do with something he designed for you. But you have a part in it. So you find your part in his purpose. I know my purpose. No, it's not your purpose. It's his purpose. But you happen to have what? A part in that purpose. I talked about developing relevant skills. Building spiritual capacity. Because you are firstly a spirit. Can somebody say, I am a spirit. So if you are going to be effective. Fulfilling that assignment. It's not by power. Not by might. But by my spirit. It's going to take a supply of his spirit. And that takes me to the next point. Be cultured in grace. God is interested in the people he can help. Where are those people? Are they here this morning? I said God is interested in the people he can help. Where are they? Where are they? Where are the people that God can really help? Because grace is coming to a point of understanding that if God does not help you, you cannot be you. Because God will never call you to do what you can do by yourself. A proof of God's calling is when the assignment is bigger than you. But we require his involvement. Listen, God needs a generation of people he can effectively carry. Not people that carry God. The last man that tried to carry God, do you know his name? Uzzah. Uza in the original Hebrew means natural strength. 
The Ark of Covenant was tilting. And he said, oh, let's help God. Let's carry him. Can you imagine if he had done it successfully? Loser would have gone all over the place. Say, we are the one carrying God in this generation. Were you not told the other time when the Ark of the Covenant was about falling? I was the one that stepped in and ensured God did not fall. Now, turn to him and say, you can't carry God. He has to carry you. God had to use Uza as an example so that you will not make the same mistake in your generation. We are the one financing this church. Ah! The resources God gave you has now become your thing. You are simply a custodian. God is the owner of the account. He just allowed you to put your name there. And the day realizes you want to take over the account, he will, will redirect the resources to someone who will allow him still own the account with their name on the account. God's MO is grace. A people helped by God. A people carried by God. A people sustained by God. So as God begins to raise you, don't get into your, your small skull that you did it by your power. You did it by your strength. You did it by the supply of his spirit. You can't merit what God supplies. He has to give you by grace. For by grace are you saved. For by grace do you live. When the Bible says the just shall live by faith, it simply means the just shall live by grace. Because faith only exists to take grace. Because faith can be dangerous at times if you don't get in a perspective of grace. You begin to boast, ah, I have strong faith. And that's why I say some people, their faith is in themselves. Some people, their faith is in their faith. I've used my faith over the years. Let me tell you the things my faith has done. Really, your faith. I thought it's God's kind of faith. Every time faith was talked about in the New Testament, it was always in reference to Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. Which simply means faith in the grace of God. Because that's what Christ Jesus represents. Of his fullness, we have all received. So there's nothing we have that was not given to us by grace. We are receivers, not achievers. If at all it seems like you're achieving, it's because you are a good receiver. You receive so well that you look so good. But don't ever be deceived that it came by your effort. For by strength shall no man prevail. Grace has always been God's aim for man. The creature called man was designed for grace. It was not the fall of man that made grace necessary. Even before man fell, grace was planned. That's why Romans, I mean, Revelation chapter 8, 13 verse 8 says, he said, Jesus is the lamb. That was slain before the foundation of the world. So before man's sin, grace was prepared. Because God knew man will have to fall to grace. The best of men are men that were well carried. 
And that's why people that understand grace are full of humility. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In fact, I call gratitude the spirit of grace. Because what gratitude does is that it ensures that your attention is never on you. But on the source. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The moment you can't say thank you is because you have started focusing on you and what is happening around you. Remember when Peter started looking at his environment? What happened to him? He said, God told me, he said, the generation that will walk on water is a generation that can put their gaze on me. That's why the greatest definition of faith is seeing Jesus. Because as you are seeing Jesus, you are taking grace. <laughs> when you start seeing yourself, seeing your life, this life, which life? The life he gave you. And listen, I know we have a lot of people that are soon going to be falling into that category of what they call midlife crisis. When people start sitting down and emotionally start evaluating their life and they start making useless decisions because they feel their life has not moved forward. The life he gave you. When you, you listen, can I speak as a father? When you come into that phase, be so soaked in gratitude that you can't see yourself. Midlife crisis is as a result of seeing too much of yourself. My life, my life. You are seeing yourself and you are seeing others. Every other person has moved, including the people that are in mortuary. You want to tell me there are not, there are not some people that went to the same elementary school with you that are dead now? Some of them even made first class when you did not make it, and they are dead. So everybody has moved. Please, let's analyze it very well. Because some of them moved to mortuary. And you are still breathing. I'm loving this. I said you are still breathing. Gratitude is the spirit of grace. Maybe I'm not where I thought I would be by now, but I'm grateful. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I will never put the lens on me. I will put it on Jesus. What he did for me, ladies and gentlemen, there's no manifestation of the miraculous that can be greater than the demonstration of his love on the cross. What he did for you over 2,000 years ago is so huge that you should never take your eyes off it. But you are busy looking for the next manifestation that you can't see his demonstration. For greater love as no man than this than for a man to lay down his life for his friend. The mere fact that you are going to heaven is that not enough reason to be grateful. The, the, the mere fact that you have brought heaven on heart because as he is, so are we. So you are not just going to heaven. Heaven is already here because you are here. Just because of one tiny manifestation of a house or a child or a, or a husband or a few things in the natural, you forget about what he did for you over 2,000 years ago. Gratitude is the spirit of grace. I will never get over the cross. I said I will never get over the cross. Snap out of that, my life. Which life? I thought your life is his life. Colossians chapter 3. Give me Colossians chapter 3. Are you loving this this morning? Which life? My life, my life, my life, my life. There's never been a generation so self-centered like this present generation. And that's why they have all manner of mental health issues. I mean, I mean, just recently I realized that peradventure, maybe I was abused going up. Because by the time they begin to list what is abuse, 
And nobody gave me that curriculum when I was growing up. And could it be the reason why some of you are this good is because you are well abused. I remember there was a time in my life I used to feel like one day somebody will have to introduce my real mother to me. Did anybody grow up in a similar home? I said, this cannot be my mother. Ah, ah. This one is too straight. Someday, somewhere, I will find my real mother. But thank God for such manifestation and demonstration and lean on of hands. Hey! Did anybody grow up with hands being laid on him consistently? Laying on of hands. Paul said, lay hands suddenly. So there are different categories. Laying on of hands. Laying on of hands. Hands were laid on you. The Bible says, <laughs> foolishness abide in the heart of a child. I remember the first time I laid hands on my son. You want to know the first time? He was 11 months. 11 months. He's a good boy today. Because hands were laid on him at 11 months. I will tell you what happened. <laughs> Are you loving this? So he had a crib. And you know, he was of course, he's the only, was the only child. And you know, of course, bedtime. Took it to the pre crib. And you know, he was doing no manner of so. Then there was a day. There was this electric socket in the sitting in the living room and he went towards it and I said to Luani, don't move away so we took him away and you know there's a way you are not looking but you are still looking I was still looking with one one eye and I saw my son tiptoe <laughs> I'm serious tiptoe 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 and I was watching him. I wanted him to finish the movie. <laughs> so when he was about grabbing it, I turned around. And right there, it dawned on me. This boy is old enough to receive ministration. <laughs> Any parents in the house? <laughs> so I took him aside. And the Lord helped me that day. And I minister to him. The kind of ministration that your life will ever remain the same. That the next time you see the socket, you will start running. I won't say more than that. But this generation, it was abused. It was abused. It was abused. They are too aware of themselves. Can I be real? Growing up, we also had it in our generation. Some of the boys, I went to boys' school only. Some of the boys that were hurting funny. But because we were not even trained to think like that, they snapped out of it. Didn't you have girls in your school that were acting like boys? We called them tomboys, but they did not graduate. <laughs> oh, come on, am I preaching well? Tomboys still married and gave birth. They did not say, I'm coming to an understanding. What? Your biology cannot be wrong. Oh, Makasata, What if, what, so, how can biology be wrong? You already have a pipe. 
Jesus, who you are. Where Jedi is concerned. Say, if you feel, which feeling? Cast out the feeling. In the name of Jesus, I speak. To, you know, there's a way devil can whisper things into your. Even some of us, we can give testimony along that line. There was a time maybe you had a friend that was almost influencing you to become a lesbian. After a while, you are, uh, no, this is not right. This is not me. Say, no, 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 no. You're just finding yourself. And we have all manner of tags now. Say, some is one, some is by, some is multiple, even some, including animals. They do animals too. What foolishness. And can all be traced back to man focusing on himself. When man can make Jesus, it, the moment man can make Jesus the center of his focus, all those foolishness will fly away. Come on, am I preaching well? Put your hands together for me. Come on, come on, come on, come on. We focus on Jesus. And as we focus on Jesus, we draw from him. We draw from him. In fact, you can't see your infirmities. And, you know, the moment you can't see the infirmity, but rather you are seeing Jesus, grace is being poured to take care of the infirmity. And after a while, you can't even see the infirmity again. Because you are fully focused on Jesus. Don't you never say, neighbor, don't focus on you. Focus on Jesus. The one that died for you. Some of, some of us, we focus on our children. My children, my children, focus on Jesus. If you want your children to respect you, focus on Jesus. You know, there's a way you can focus so much on your children and your children will grow up and will not respect you. They have seen you through. Is it not mommy? Mommy that will not let me rest. Every minute is calling me. Focus on Jesus. Let your children grow up seeing how you lived. Hey, This feeling like a camp meeting. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. See Jesus. See Jesus. Jesus on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He died for me. <laughs> the work of redemption is my focus. And as you do that, grace is put forth. In fact, nothing can be more intentional where the taking of grace is concerned than focusing on Jesus. Because seeing Jesus is faith at work. You know, yesterday I was talking about faith. You know, you know, the faith that takes from the grace of God, the spirit of faith. We focus on Jesus. You remember Numbers chapter 21? When the folks that rebelled against God were beaten by snake, right? And, you know, they, they ran to Moses. And Moses ran to God. Said, what do we do to fix this problem? What did God say? What God told Moses is that make a bronze serpent and put it on the pole. And tell, do you know what that bronze serpent represents? Jesus on the cross. He said, tell them to focus. I thought they should be focusing on their wounds. No. He said, put your eyes on him on the cross. And the Bible says, as they looked, they were healed. Man, there's an anointing in this place. Somebody say, I live from rest. Oh, raise to your, your two hands and shout, I live from rest. No, God wants you to get to that place of rest. Now, you can't say anything but what he has finished for you. No anxiety. 
Let me tell you something. Let, let me teach you how to walk in God's rest. You have to learn it from the little things of life. I can't find my iPad. I can't find my phone. I can't find my pen. Don't let it stay on your mind. Especially if you have an alternative. Just move to the alternative. Say, I cast my cares on God. It's settled. And start living like it's nothing. You will realize that the moment you take that position, that thing will find you. Am I talking to somebody? Rather than it now arrest you, you, I can't find my car key. There's a second key. Oh, there's no second key. Call Uber. Casting all your cares on God. For he cares for you affectionately. And he cares. I don't know what's happening to my kids. Really? The kids that God gave you. Is their children at the heritage of the Lord? Who gave you the right to worry over them? One of the attributes of a good mother does not include worrying. Every time you worry over your child, you have just opened the door for the enemy to strike. And a lot of people think being worried is a sign of great motherhood. That's what we do. Mothers, we worry. Several years ago, I called my mother. I sat her down. I said, I said, when you are thinking about things to worry about, I say, it's okay. Worry about everything. But if I hear I'm on that list, she was looking at me like this. I said, yes. I said, from today, it's illegal for you to worry about me. Because if that keeps this red, does not sleep, no slumber. I said, I'm not on your worry list. Is that clear? She was looking at me. I said, is that clear? I said, is this a tooth? No, because there are times you need to eat, eat some of those negative things in the face. I said, but I'm just trying. <clears throat> Don't worry. I said, if I, 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 won't, I won't stop calling you. <laughs> I said, but you have heard. It's okay, say to it. Worry. Not me. I'm not. Don't put me on that list. Say, if they told you something happened to me, they made a mistake. It's not possible. <laughs> I remember several years ago, the ministry was not even as big as this then. Probably over 10 years ago, I was supposed to be ministering at Global Vest Convention in Ibadan. And the billboard was already all over the city. So, <laughs> my mom's friends, some of them had seen the billboard. You know, you know people are misdressing. They now pick up the phone and call my mom. Are you hearing about so-so and so? They've already seen the billboard that I was coming. And my mom, in the name of protecting, said, ah, it's fine, it's fine. And I was already in town. So, I went, so when I saw I said, mommy, mommy, come sit down. He said, they're just making mockery of you. They've seen the billboards. Yeah, I'm just trying to protect you. I said, you don't need to protect me. I'm fine. She meant well. But the way she was going about it was not necessary. Say, I'm fine. Say, so that they will not be announcing you. I said, it's already late. I'm announced. <laughs> you know, there's a saying. There's a saying in Nigeria, Yoruba especially. Said, you know, I don't even know how to translate it. When your yam is busting, you cover it. Now, there's some yam. They will bust your hands. 
cover it. Cover it. I say, I told them, I said, it's too late. It's too late. If your son becomes president, how will you protect him? The whole world knows his itinerary. But there's a keeper. I said, there's a keeper. Rather than get into that worry mode, why not put your trust in the keeper? I cast my cares. Nothing moves me. Nothing shakes me. No fear. No anxiety. I'm full of joy. And I'm at peace. I'm at rest. Stand up everybody and say loud and clear. Say, I am at rest. Nothing moves me. Nothing shakes me. No matter how it seems in the natural. I'm always at peace. The peace of God. That passes all understanding. Keeps my heart. And my mind by Christ Jesus. My focus is on Jesus and nothing disturbs me. If you believe that, come on, rejoice in the Holy Ghost. Nothing disturbs me. No fear, no worries. I'm thinking about my life. I'm thinking about my future. I'm, stop that nonsense. Sit down. To the glory of God, I have two children in our institution now and if I were to analyze what we did as parents, it was foolish. Naturally speaking. I mean, it's not America. School is expensive. You space your children. I mean, maybe two, three years so that at least one is about leaving college before the other one enters, right? I mean, in our own case, you know, we got married in 99 and for the first few years, I mean, first about two years we said no children then eventually we said, let's have kids. And they were not coming. And of course, cut the long story short, God stepped in and my wife took in in 2002. So my first son came 2003, March 16 to be precise. And we thank God. And to prove it was not a fluke, we hit it again. So my daughter came November 2004. So they, were, they grew up like this. But they were at least two years apart because of the school system. She was born in November. He was born in March. But my daughter, very exceptional student, got double promotion in high school. And, you know, so it became one year difference. So one entered school two years ago, the other one followed. And I wasn't thinking. But guess what? God had gone ahead. Do you know, the amount of money I paid in the last six months on their tuition, Does not make sense. But it's like nothing left the account. So I tell parents, I said, please, God will not give you a liability. That child is more of his child than your child. He will not send a child into your life to mess up your life. Who gave you the right over your child because of tuition? He, made, he knew his children were going to college. So he needed to double my income. Yeah, worry. Now, interesting enough, we had education trust funds that we had planned. To the glory of God, we don't even need it. The money is just sitting there. It's not needed. Because God is paying for his own children. So I can bear witness to this. I've preached over and over for years. I will never need to take a loan for my kids' tuition. When I started saying it, I, I didn't even have money close to it. But that was my faith speaking. Ladies and gentlemen, let your faith speak freely. 
shame without shame. So he said, ah, is it not dangerous? Do you have that kind of money? Your faith is speaking. Now, your problem is that you are more aware of your limited accounts than his unlimited accounts. He said, you are a joint heir with Christ. Do you know what it means? Every asset and resource of Christ is yours. Whenever there's a need to draw, you can draw. You have unlimited resources. I trust. I rest. So they're in school. The other day I saw another chunk of money moved. But guess what? As that money was getting moved, another money was moving in. And I checked the account. I realized it's even low. It's even, you know, there's a way you check your account and you feel like, ah, it's sitting better now. I'm like, after they have removed all the all they wanted to remove, the account is even sitting better. Because he ensured, he ensured that his children are paid for. So all this midlife crisis nonsense, stop it. All the useless mental health, a generation that is more aware of themselves than Jesus. That's the cause of the mental health. Do you know what your parents went through? It was even worse than what you went through. And yet, they did not break down mentally. <laughs> ah! Men in those era, they were, they were terrible. Don't let me go. That's a story for another whatever. But your mother did not break down mentally. And your husband has not done anything close to that now. And you're like, you know, I'm stressed. I'm stressed. I'm stressed. Your parents grew up without even considering divorce. Anything shows up, we deal with it. Including when their husband went to impregnate a small girl in the neighborhood. Some of them will even say, bring the child in. Let's raise them with the rest of the kids. They say, they were abused. I know it's not right. But your problem is that you are too focused on you and your problem than they are. And I'm just breaking it down for you. The, one of the major reasons for the mental health issues of this generation is there's too much there's too much awareness of self than Christ. <laughs> I'm meeting some people now. You, are, you meditate too much on yourself. Say this book of law shall not depart of your mind. But it's the book of you that shall not depart. Oh, you are saying your life, my life. I can't take it again. I can't. What are you taking? What, what have you taken? I can't, I can't take it. I, I can't take it. I, I, I'm stressed. You are stressed because your meditation is you. Rest! I function. Even if you have a spouse that is misbehaving, shock him, shock her. It takes two to fight. When it's about to start, it's nonsense. <laughs> Glory to God. Ah! Are you not hearing or doing seeing what I'm saying? Glory to God. Bekru la katu shakataya. Ah. He will respect himself. She will respect herself. Because all of a sudden, he or she will realize he's beginning to look like a mad person. I rest. Get on your feet. I feel the Holy Ghost this, this morning. Lift up your two hands and shout, I rest! My mind is too much on Christ to accommodate your nonsense. Jesus is my, is my meditation for the rest of my life. Not the situation, not the challenges. Lift those hands up and shout, I rest!
Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. This message is getting utter and utter. I rest, I rest. Jesus found himself on a boat that was being tossed up and down. Mark chapter 4, right? From verse 35 downward. But the Bible says Jesus was where? In the inner part of what? The boat. Doing what? Sleeping. Ah, the disciples were running around. Oh, oh my God, what do we do? 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 They even went to Jesus and said, you do not care. Oh, does that sound like a man, what so many men have had? You don't care about these children. It's not worry that shows care. You do not care we're perishing. Jesus was calm. And do you know, he came out of the storm. I mean, out of that sea, brother. And he knew what to do with the storm. Anytime you don't sleep or you refuse to sleep because of a storm, you've lost power over that storm. The way to control storm is to maintain your sleep position. Turn to your neighbor say, neighbor, sleep. Say loud and clear, say sleep. Several years ago, we were having a watch night service, December 31st service. You know, you know what people do December 31st, watch night, morning we say happy new year, everybody's celebrating. Happy new year. And there was this lady Rather than join the rest of the people saying Happy New Year, he walked up to me. Sir, they're laying off 3,000 people at my workplace. I looked at her. I said, What's your name? He said, Is it 3,000 people? Get out of my friends and my friends. People are celebrating Happy New Year. All you can talk about is their life. So a few months after he said, oh, they didn't lay me off. As if I would be impressed. He said, why are you expecting to be laid off? I rest. Come on, say loud and clear. Say, I rest. Nothing moves me. What's going to happen in five years? Jesus is waiting for me in five years. So five years will be great. I rest. You function from that position of rest. That's how you dominate. You dominate. You dominate in rest. Nothing moves me. I said nothing moves me. I said nothing moves me. Well, I'm not even getting much of my message. Okay. I was going to talk about master collaboration, master the spirit of excellence, trust the process, but the anointing of God is already strong in this place. Well, have you learned one thing or the other this morning? Get on your feet. First Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. I rest. Want to take over. Your takeover is to rest. And in your rest, God will bring the right people into your space. In your rest, you will meet that Jonathan that your heart is supposed to be what needs together. Because one of the things about this season is collaboration. Somebody say collaboration. Some of you, the reason why what you've been trying to do has not worked is because you are trying to do it alone. But God will be sending people into your space 
that are needed for those ideas to fly. Somebody shout, I rest. Oh, I can't do it by myself. Because uh, you need people to collaborate. You need people that your art needs to what? Needs together. You know, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, talked about how Jesus prayed all night. And verse 13 says, in the morning, he called his disciples unto himself. And out of them, he chose 12. He just found a team. I pray for somebody under the sound of my voice that the vital team that you need to win in life, in this season, you will know them by revelation. I speak over you. I declare your days of running alone. Those days are over. Somebody say, I'm running with the right team. I see clearly. I run swiftly and I receive all that is mine. If you believe that, come on, rejoice in the Holy Ghost. I say rejoice in the Holy Ghost. Man sat up or your shot up parallel. First Samuel chapter 16 from verse 1. I will be praying for you this morning. He says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. He said, Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided myself a king among his sons. God is saying, we're in a season that Saul's about to be sent out of the palace. And some David that nobody knows about is about to be anointed. He said, I have provided myself a king. Who is that king that God is providing for himself? In his space, in his industry, in our industry. Who is that king? But listen, until the oil is released. There is no activation of that dominion that the king is supposed to exercise. So Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse to identify David and to anoint David for his assignment. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so essential in this season. There's an anointing of the Spirit that makes you effective on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday. So that when we come back on Sunday, we'll be able to testify to the goodness of God. Because you would have ruled and served. You're a servant king. You need to serve, but God says you need to be anointed as a king to serve well. And I see oil coming upon you to serve effectively. In the name of Jesus. We hope you've been richly blessed by this teaching from Kingswood Ministries International. Feel free to visit our website at kingswood.org for more inspiring teachings by Dr. K. Ijishasong. There you'd also find other helpful materials and further information about this ministry. God bless you richly.